Well, our scripture reading this morning is from Genesis 29, verses 13 through 18. This is found on page 23 in your pew Bible. And if you don't own a Bible right now, we'd love for you to take that Bible home with you as a gift from us. So let's hear the word of the Lord. As soon as Laban heard the news about Jacob, his sister's son, he ran to meet him and embraced him and kissed him and brought him to his house. Jacob told Laban all these things, and Laban said to him, Surely you are my bone and my flesh. And he stayed with him a month. Then Laban said to Jacob, Because you are my kinsman, should you therefore serve me for nothing? Tell me, what shall your wages be? Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah's eyes were weak, but Rachel was beautiful in form and appearance. Jacob loved Rachel. And he said, I will serve you seven years for your younger daughter, Rachel. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, good morning. Uh, My name is Henry Thompson, and I serve here uh, as an associate pastor at Christ Community. And for the past 14 months, I have been based here at the Brookside campus. But starting next week, um, I will spend the majority of my time downtown but I just want to thank each and every one of you for, my, for your support um, over these past 14 months. Uh, Christ Community Brookside was the first church I ever preached at on a Sunday. Um, yeah, thank you. Thank you. Um, and I'm really thankful for the time I've been able to spend here and um, hope that I will be back. So you, you, it's not goodbye. Um, I will be back to preach a couple times uh, throughout the rest of this year. So um, I'm thankful to be here this morning uh, and have the opportunity to preach the word once again. Um, and I hope y'all got some amens for me today because I'm, I'm going to need it. Uh, um, let us pray uh, before we begin. Father, um, thank you for your grace, Lord. Thank you for your kindness, Lord. Uh, Thank you for every person that's here this morning, Father. I pray that you would be glorified through this message, Lord, that you would uh, fill this place with your Holy Spirit, Lord, and speak to us, your people, Lord. I pray that you would hide me at the foot of your cross, Lord, and I pray that you would be lifted up and glorified through your word this morning. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. I want to confess something to you all this morning. You ready? I like some, I like some romantic Hollywood films. And I know guys are not supposed to like these type of films, right? They are often called chick flicks. But despite this reality, I find myself still thoroughly enjoying some romantic films. Now, I'm not talking about the cheesy romantic films like The Notebook or The Twilight Movies. No, I'm talking about good romantic films like Silver Lining Playbook, La La Land, or Crazy Rich Asians. And in many romantic Hollywood films I've watched, I have noticed a common theme or element. Many romantic Hollywood films have something called a love triangle. In a love triangle, two people love the same person, and usually that person has to choose between the two individuals that love them. Now, growing up, one of my favorite romance films 
with the love triangle is a, a movie called Love and Basketball. In this film, there's a love triangle between Monica, Quincy, and Karen. Monica and Quincy grew up together and fell in love at the end of high school, but they end up breaking up the first year of college at USC. Quincy goes on to play in the NBA, and Monica goes overseas to play professional women's basketball. And after a few years, Monica decides to come back home to Los Angeles. When she comes home, she realizes quickly that she is still in love with Quincy, but there's one big problem. Quincy is engaged to Karen, and he's a few weeks away from getting married to her. The week before the wedding, Monica tells Quincy she is still in love with him, and she challenges him to a game of pickup basketball for his heart. I know it's kind of corny, but it's a good movie, though. <laughs> if she wins, she wants Quincy to break off his engagement to Karen and get back with her. Quincy agrees to play this pickup basketball game, and Monica starts off strong, but in the end, she loses this pickup game. Just as Monica thinks she has lost the love of her life, Quincy looks at her and says, double or nothing. Even though Quincy won the pickup game, he still breaks off his engagement to Karen and marries Monica. Then they live happily ever after. Like love and basketball, our text in Genesis this morning has a love triangle between Jacob, Leah, and Rachel. But unlike the movie Love and Basketball, this story does not seem to have a happy ending. Our story this morning is not a polished Hollywood film. It's not a fictional story that leaves us with warm, fuzzy feelings inside. Despite this reality, through our text this morning, we will learn something from each person in this broken and dysfunctional love triangle. This morning, we will learn something from Jacob. We will learn something from Leah. We will learn something from Rachel. Now, we will start by focusing on Jacob. If you were here these last few weeks, you know we have begun to follow Jacob's life in Genesis. For a little recap, Jacob was forced to flee from his homeland because his older brother Esau wants to kill him. See, Jacob stole Esau's birthright, which was immensely valuable during that time. And on top of that, Jacob deceives his father Isaac into offering him Esau's blessing on his deathbed. So after their fa father Isaac's funeral, Esau vowed to kill Jacob. To save his life, Jacob's mother Rachel, actually Jacob's mother Rebecca, tells him to flee to his uncle Laban in Haran, her homeland. And last week we saw that God revealed himself to Jacob in a dream on his way to Haran. God shows up to Jacob in a dream at his low point and tells him that he is with him. God tells Jacob that he will watch over him, provide him with land, multiply his descendants, and bless all the nations on the earth through his offspring. After Jacob wakes up from this dream, he makes a covenant to the God of his father Isaac and grandfather Abraham. Then he continues on his journey to Haran. When he gets to Haran, he meets a girl named Rachel. 
This is the beginning of chapter 29, and he realizes this is his cousin. This is Uncle Laban's daughter, the man he's been looking for. And so she takes him home to meet Laban, and Laban welcomes Jacob into his household. This brings us to our text this morning. Let's look back at verse 14 and 15. It reads, After Jacob had stayed with him for a whole month, Laban said to him, Just because you are a relative of mine, should you work for me for nothing? Tell me what your wages should be. In these verses, we see that after Jacob stays with Laban for a month, Laban wants to keep his nephew Jacob around. Laban saw that his cattle was doing well under Jacob's care. He saw that God blessed the work of Jacob's hand and gave him favor. So he basically comes to him and asks, what do I need to pay you, Jacob, to keep you around? Now, before Jacob answers this question, the narrator inserts a little information. Let's look back at verse 16 and 17 of our text. It reads, now Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah had weak eyes, but Rachel had a lovely figure and was beautiful. The narrator informs us that Laban has two daughters. He has an older daughter, Leah, and a younger daughter, Rachel. Then we are informed that Leah has weak eyes. Now, you may wonder what it means for Leah to have weak eyes. Well, it basically means that Leah is not physically attractive based on the beauty standards of their culture. Because right after it says Leah has weak eyes, we are told that Rachel is pretty and beautiful. In verse 17 of our text, Leah's unattractiveness is contrasted with Rachel's beauty. We are basically told that Rachel is pretty and that Leah is not. After this distinction is established, Jacob informs his uncle what he wants for his labor. Let's look back at Genesis chapter 29, verse 18. It reads, Jacob was in love with Rachel and said, I'll work for you seven years in return for your younger daughter, Rachel. Laban said, it's better that I give her to you than to some other man. Stay here with me. So Jacob served seven years to get Rachel, but they seemed like only a few days because of his love for her. In these verses, we see that Jacob was head over heels for Rachel. He loved Rachel and wanted to spend the rest of his life with her. So he told Laban he would work for him for seven years to pay the bride price. Now, this would have been odd to the original listeners. See, it was common for men to pay a bride price for their wives, but that price typically equaled around two years of labor. But Jacob decides to pay seven years of labor to make Rachel his wife. This would have been unheard of during that time period. Jacob paid over three times the normal bride price. Imagine paying seven years of your salary to attain a spouse. I'm single right now, and I'm telling y'all I couldn't do it. <laughs> I would not be willing to offer seven years of labor for a spouse, but I know you married people can't say that. You got to say, I will work 10 years for you. <laughs> but I'm going to keep it real. Now, Laban, of course, accepts Jacob's offer. He tells him to stay and work seven years. So Jacob basically enslaved himself to his uncle Laban for seven years for Rachel. And the text tells us that Jacob loved Rachel so much that the seven years seemed like a few days. 
But after his seven years, Jacob is ready to get married and physically consummate his marriage by making love to his wife. So he goes to Laban in verse 21 of our text and commands him in a vulgar way to give him his wife. Jacob is ready to marry Rachel. He desires this more than anything else. So Laban gathers together the people in Haran for a wedding feast. And at night, Laban brings Jacob his bride. There's one big problem when Jacob wakes up in the morning. Let's look at verse 23 of Genesis 29 of our text. It reads, When evening came, he took his daughter Leah and brought her to Jacob, and Jacob made love to her. And continuing in verse 25, when morning came, there was Leah. So Jacob said to Laban, what is this you've done to me? I've served you for Rachel, didn't I? Why have you deceived me? Laban replied. It is not our custom here to give the younger daughter in marriage before the older one. For the daughter's bridal week, finish this daughter's bridal week. Then we will give you the younger one also in return for another seven years of work. And Jacob did so. He finished the week with Leah, and then Laban gave him his daughter Rachel to be his wife. We see in these verses that Jacob is tricked by his uncle Laban. Instead of bringing him Rachel, the one he loves, Laban brings Jacob his oldest daughter Leah, and he makes love to her. And you may wonder how Jacob thought Leah was Rachel. Well, Leah was probably pretty veiled, and Jacob probably drank a good amount of wine at the festival. So in the words of T-Pain, we can blame it on the alcohol. <laughs> this, this is what the commentary say, not, not the T-Pain, but. So Laban took advantage of Jacob's drunken state. And this is ironic, right? Jacob tricked his brother into giving him his birthright, and he dressed up as his brother Esau to steal his blessing. The one who tricked his brother and father has been deceived by his uncle Laban. And Jacob is livid. So he goes to Laban and asks why he deceived him. And Laban informs him that in their culture, the older daughter has to be married before the younger daughter. Laban basically says, I know that you stole your older brother's blessing and birthright, but in our culture, the older comes before the younger. So why don't you finish out this bridal week with Leah, and then you can marry Rachel after another seven years of labor? Jacob the trickster has been tricked. His uncle Laban tricks him into marrying his older daughter Leah and working 14 years for Rachel's hand in marriage. Jacob paid seven times the normal bride price to marry Rachel, the woman that he loved. Now I know some of you may be thinking, how could Jacob be so stupid? Well, Jacob was so easily deceived because he desired Rachel too much. He was so obsessed with Rachel that he was willing to do whatever it took to marry her. I mean, it is natural to want a spouse, but Jacob was thirsty. Jacob was desperate for Rachel. Laban saw how Jacob longed for Rachel, so he knew he could take advantage of him. And this morning we learn from Jacob that if we desire something too much, we can be exploited and enslaved. If we desire something too much, we can be exploited and enslaved. When we have an unhealthy desire for one of God's good gifts, we can be taken advantage of like Jacob and exploited. And I, and I don't know about you, but I definitely have over-desired things and still struggle with over-desiring things. 
I was reminded of this truth last week. See, since I've been in Kansas City over these past 14 months, I have purchased like over 50 books. Think about that, 50 books in 14 months. And I realized toward the end of May that I was buying way too many books, so I made a vow not to purchase any books for the rest of the year. But last week I slipped up. I went to the half-price bookstore in Westport just to look at books. I wasn't going to buy anything. I was just looking. But as soon as I walked in the store, I saw a new book called Nickel Boys. This book happened to be written by one of my favorite authors, Colson Whitehead, who won the Pulitzer Prize in 2017 for his fiction book, The Underground Railroad. I convinced myself that I just had to buy this book, so I purchased a copy of that book, and I got another one, too. (laughs) Since I was breaking my vow, I thought I might as well do it big. And I have realized over these past years that I love and desire books too much. And Amazon and Barnes & Noble have exploited this, right? They send me emails about deals, and whenever I buy a book from Amazon, they show me a whole other list of books that people bought. And then I usually want at least two or three of those books, so the spiral continues and continues. Now, I know many of you probably do not struggle with over-desiring books like me. I have a question for you this morning. What do you struggle with over-desiring? Do you struggle with over-desiring the verbal affirmation of a boss, spouse, friend, parent, or child? Or do you struggle with over-desiring success in your career? Or like, Jacob, do you struggle with over-desiring a romantic relationship? See, if we over-desire anything in our life, we will be exploited and enslaved like Jacob. Now, don't hear me wrong. It is natural to desire a romantic relationship. It is natural to desire affirmation and love from a spouse, child, or friend. It is also natural to want to excel as a parent or in your career. But when we over-desire these things, we will be enslaved to them. And we know that we are over-desiring something when we long for it more than God. If we want a person's affirmation more than God, then we want it too much. If we want advancement in our career more than we want God, we desire it too much. If you want your children to be more successful than you desire God, you want it too much. If If I want to write a good sermon and get your approval more than I want God, I want it too much. If we desire anything in our lives more than God, we want it too much. And when we desire something too much, the answer is not to want that particular thing less. The answer is to want God more. We should want God more than a romantic relationship. We should want God more than success. We should want God more than money. We should want God more than everything in our lives. Now, Jacob is not the only person we learn from in our text in Genesis today. We also learn from Leah. Let's look at verse 30 of our text. It reads, Jacob made love to Rachel also, and his love for Rachel was greater than his love for Leah. And he worked for Laban another seven years. When the Lord saw that Leah was not loved, he enabled her to conceive. But Rachel remained childless. Leah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She named him Reuben, for she said, It is because the Lord has seen my misery. Surely my husband will love me now. 
She conceived again, and when she gave birth to a son, she said, because the Lord heard that I am not loved, he gave me this one too. So she named him Simon. Again she conceived, and when she gave birth to a son, she said, now at last my husband will become attached to me because I have borne him three sons. So he was named Levi. In verse 30, we see that Jacob loved his wife Rachel more than his wife Leah. And this makes sense, right? Jacob loved Rachel and wanted to marry her. He was attracted to Rachel and didn't feel as attracted to Leah. And he never wanted to marry Leah. But God sees Leah's tough situation. God sees that Leah is not loved by her husband. So God makes a way for Leah to bear children while her sister Rachel remains childless. Leah bears her first son, Reuben, and she believes that will lead her husband, Jacob, to love her. She thinks that since Jacob, her husband, has been given her first child through her, she thinks that she can win his love, but it doesn't work. Then Leah bears Jacob a second and third son, and after she bears her third son, she thinks, surely Jacob will love me and be attached to me now. It is clear from these verses that Leah is living for Jacob's love and acceptance. Leah is hoping that bearing three sons will be enough to earn her husband's approval. But the love and acceptance that she is seeking never comes. Jacob always favors Rachel over Leah. No matter how many children Leah bears, she is never loved more than her sister Rachel by Jacob. Despite this reality, in these verses, Leah is living for the approval of her husband. And this makes sense. Makes sense to want acceptance and love from a spouse. It makes sense to want to be desired and loved by your husband. But Leah won't get this from Jacob. But she can't see it. So she tries to earn his love and acceptance. But this leaves her on a treadmill of performance. And this morning, we learn from Leah that we cannot ultimately live for the approval of other people. We can't make the approval of another human being the most important thing in our lives. It is natural and healthy to want the approval of other people close to us. But we cannot make it our highest priority. Now, I realized this truth in fifth grade. See, prior to fifth grade, I went to a private Christian school. But in fifth grade, I switched over to my local public school. I had to make new friends. I didn't know any of my classmates. And early on, I decided that I wanted to join the friend group of the popular kids. So this led me to try to earn their approval. I sought to earn their approval by making fun of other uncool kids, of course, and being a bit of a class clown. And you know it worked. The cool kids started inviting me to their houses. The hard thing was after I got their acceptance, I felt like I had to keep performing in order to keep their approval, and that eventually got old for me. I got tired of working for the approval of this friend group, and honestly, I thought things would change as I got older. But I'll be honest with you all, I still struggle with living for the approval of other people. I still struggle with feeling pressure to perform for the acceptance of others. I even at times struggle with placing the approval of other people above God's approval. And I have a question for you this morning. Whose approval do you want most? Is it a boss, spouse, co-worker, parent, or an exclusive friend group? Or is it, is it the approval of one of your children? In our text this morning, we see that if we make any human being's acceptance ultimate, we will be disillusioned. 
If we make any person's acceptance the ultimate value, we'll be stuck on a never-ending treadmill of performance. And we will never feel like we are good enough. We will never feel like a good enough spouse, parent, employee, child, or boss. Our text this morning shows us that we cannot make another human being's approval our highest goal. Now go with me here for a second. In his book, Unashamed, the Christian hip-hop artist LeCurry writes, If you live for people's acceptance, you will die from their rejection. If you live for people's acceptance, you will die from their rejection. See, if we live for any person's acceptance, we will be devastated by their rejection. If you live for the acceptance of your children or spouse, you won't be able to bear any rejection or slight. If you live for the acceptance of a boss or the acceptance of your employees, you won't be able to weather their rejection. And don't hear me wrong, it is natural to long for other people's acceptance. But we can never place someone else's acceptance above God's. See, the only way we can put human acceptance in its proper place is by placing God's acceptance above everyone else's. And this is good news because we don't have to work to earn God's acceptance. If we have placed our faith in Jesus Christ, we are accepted and approved by God, not by our works, but by Jesus' finished work. Jesus lived a sinless life and he offered himself up on the cross of Calvary, covering over every one of our sins. Through his shed blood, we are fully approved and accepted by our holy God. And we know this is true because Jesus didn't only die, he got up from the grave. Now, we don't have to work for approval. Through Jesus Christ, we work as people who have already been approved. When we find our identity in God's approval, we are free to put the approval of others in its proper place. Amen? As we move back to our text this morning, we don't only learn from Leah and Jacob through our text this morning, we also learn from Rachel. Let's look at Genesis chapter 30, verse 1. It reads, When Rachel saw that she was not bearing Jacob any children, she became jealous of her sister, so she said to Jacob, Give me children or I'll die. This verse shows us that Rachel became jealous of her sister Leah. She was jealous of Leah because her sister bore Jacob four sons, while she remained unable to give Jacob any children. So Leah is jealous of Rachel because she is the one loved by Jacob, and Rachel is jealous of Leah because she has bore Jacob multiple sons. Now this is the kind of stuff you see on the Maury Show or Jerry Springer. This love triangle is so jacked up and far from God's original plan of one man with one woman. And in the second half of this verse, Rachel goes to Jacob and tells him to give her a child or she will die. Rachel basically says, I cannot go on living if you don't give me a child. I can't stand to see my sister bear you children while I remain childish. Rachel basically says, if you can't give me a baby, life is not worth living. Now let's look at Jacob's response in verse 2. It reads, Jacob became angry with her and said, am I in the place of God who has kept you from having children? In this verse, we see that Jacob is upset at Rachel for commanding him to give her a child. Jacob basically tells Rachel that he is not God. Jacob tells Rachel that she is putting him in the place of God because he knows that children ultimately come from the Lord. 
Jacob basically tells his wife that she needs to go to God because he is the one who has the power to give her children. And from Rachel, we learn that we cannot put any human being in God's place. We cannot look to people to offer what only God can give to us. And this is what Rachel does in our text. Instead of taking her frustration over being childless to God, she went to a finite human being who could not fix her situation. Rachel was placing her hope in Jacob and not God. And this can be easy to do, right? In our society, it is easy to look to people and technology to offer us things that we can only truly get from God. But this text shows us that we cannot put any human being in God's place. Now go with me here for a second. Something tragic happened earlier this year. Dale Bend Bridge, a bridge in Arkansas, collapsed in January of this year. This was a bridge built back in the 1930s, so it was nearly 100 years old, and it was on the National Register of Historic Places, but now it is utterly destroyed. And you may wonder how it collapsed. Well, an extremely heavy truck utterly destroyed this bridge. See, the bridge was not created to bear the weight of a heavy 18-wheeler truck. So it was destroyed by the weight put upon it. See, the truck weighed 64,000 pounds more than the bridge could handle. So it instantly collapsed. In a similar way, when we, look, when we put God-like expectations on broken people, they will eventually collapse under the weight of our expectations. When we put finite human beings in God's place, they will collapse like that bridge and disappoint us because people were not created to bear the weight that only God can bear. Broken human beings can't bear the weight of an all-perfect and powerful God. And I, and I was reminded of this truth this week. See, I read a chapter in a book called Counterfeit Gods by Tim Keller, a pastor and theologian. And in this book, Keller writes, If you get married as Jacob did, putting the weight of all your deepest hopes and longings on the person you are marrying, you are going to crush him or her with your expectations. It will distort your life and your spouse's life in a hundred ways. No person, not even the best one, can give your soul all it needs. Through this quote, we see that no person can complete us or give us everything we need. We cannot look to any person or spouse, child, parent, or close friend to give us ultimate satisfaction. Because they are not God. This is what we learned from Rachel this morning. Now, I know some of you may be thinking, I get it. We learned from Jacob that we shouldn't desire anything more than God. We learned from Leah that we cannot ultimately live for other people's approval. And we learned from Rachel that we cannot put people in God's place. But is there any hope in this story? I know some of you may be wondering, is there any hope In this dysfunctional love triangle, where a man marries two sisters, well, later God explicitly tells his people not to marry sisters. And in the New Testament, God once again affirms that marriage is only a covenant between one man and one woman, not one man and two women. But despite the brokenness in this story, there is hope, and the hope comes from Leah. This is surprising because Leah is the one who loses in this love triangle. She is the one that Jacob didn't love or favor, but despite this reality, God shows Leah favor. 
Let's look at verse 35 of Genesis 29. It reads, Leah conceived again, and when she gave birth to a son, she said, This time I will praise the Lord. So she named him Judah, then she stopped having children. When Leah has her fourth child, she stops looking to her husband Jacob for approval. She stops desiring Jacob's affirmation above all else, and she stops putting Jacob in God's place. Instead of looking to Jacob when she has her fourth son, she praises God. She looks to the one who can give her the approval and acceptance that she desires. She praises God for her son Judah, and ironically, Judah is the most important child that Jacob will have. Because the kings of, Is- of the Israelite people will come through Judah's line. And eventually, our eternal Savior, Jesus Christ, the King of Kings, will take on flesh through the lineage of Judah. Jacob favored Rachel, but God favored Leah. See, even though Leah was forgotten and rejected, God brings the Savior of the world through her lineage and not through Rachel. And this makes sense at some level, right? Because like Leah, our Savior, Jesus was rejected and forgotten at the cross of Calvary for our sake. Jesus had never desired anything more than God. He never lived for the approval of other people and and put fallen humans in God's place, but he took those sins we commit upon himself. And he died on the cross and rose from the grave for our idolatry and rebellion. Through Jesus, we have been forgiven of our sins and given the power to live in a new way. Now in Christ Jesus, through the Holy Spirit's power, we can stop desiring things above God. We can stop living for human approval, and we can stop putting things and and people in God's place in our lives. In Christ Jesus, like Leah, we can now look to God above all else and offer him the praise that only he deserves. Amen? Amen? Let us pray. Father, thank you for your grace, Father. Thank you for your mercy. Um, pray that you would empower us by your spirit, Lord, to turn away from everything that we may be placing above you, Lord, and to glorify you in our lives, Lord. And I just pray that you would draw us closer to you, Lord. We thank you for your son. We thank you for him dying on our behalf and covering over all our trespasses by his blood, Lord. Pray that we would walk in that forgiveness and redemption and love. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.